We come to the time in our worship where we once again read God's word and then hear the preaching of God's word. So I invite you to stand with me and to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, where we'll read verses 20 through 27 as we continue our series in the the book of Daniel, page 747 in your pew Bibles. The word of the Lord to his people says this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. O Lord, give light. O Lord, open our hearts. First, Lord, our minds to understand what you're speaking. And second, Lord, our hearts, together with our minds, to receive, to embrace, and to humbly act according to your word. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. There are some things in Scripture that are just hard. There are some passages that we read and then we say, wait, wait, hang on, what? What did I just read? And this is one of them. I want to admit that up front, that this is, this is a passage that we read it and it makes us stop and say, okay, okay, I am, I am reading something that is difficult. And we know that not all of Scripture is equally easy to understand. Some passages make us work, work hard. And again, this is one of them. If I could show you all the charts and dissertations written about this uh, passage, if I could show you all the different ways that um, critics and scholars and theologians have tried to explain this passage, you would see a mountain up here before you. And so you wonder, well, 
what's the use in even talking about this? Maybe we should just leave it to the scholars. Maybe we should just, you know, read a commentary, pastor, and just let us hear it. But I think that would be the wrong approach because you see the word of God is not written to us to confuse us. It is written and laid before us to comfort us, to guide us. 2 Timothy 3.16 simply says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And guess what? That passage applies to Daniel chapter 9. It applies to this uh, difficult passage regarding the 77s. This, too, is profitable for training, for correction, for reproof, for, for, for us becoming more and more men of God and women who seek his face. So what I want us to do is to look carefully at this passage with that in mind, realizing, yes, there are some difficult things. Yes, we're going to say, Lord, your word is above me, but... We're going to look for what is plain. We're going to look for the comfort to be found here. Okay? So if we're going to do this first by, by seeking to understand what this vision is all about. What, what are these 77s? And then I want to actually map these 77s onto uh, the scheme of Scripture, to the history that Scripture unfolds. And then I want to follow, finish by, by not letting us get away without asking the question, what does this mean for me? Applying the 77s. So understanding the 77s, mapping the 77s, applying the 77s. What are the 77s? You, know, you heard right, right away in chapter 24, 70 weeks are decreed. And um, I, I think this is a fine translation for, that the ESV gives us. But really, if you go to the... Um, you know, the, uh, the, the Hebrew text, it says 70 sevens, 70, uh, an entity of seven, uh, 70, but 70, th- uh, but seven things. <laughs> See, I'm already getting my, my words tripped up. Um, 70 sevens. What is that all about? Well, let's keep the main things, the plain things and the plain things, the main things. Um, the, the first thing I want you to see as we understand what these 77s, this, this time period is all about, is first of all, we need to see in the context of this passage that it is an answer to prayer. This doesn't just come out of nowhere and just hit you. An answer to prayer. There are uh, the 77s are, are handed to, uh, to God's people, to Daniel, in response to a prayer that he prays. What did Daniel just pray for? He just prayed. He just laid out his heart praying for revival for his people. And he was thinking back to Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 29. That prophecy that Israel would be in exile for 70 years. And here were God's people at the very end of those 70 years. At the end of those 70 years, so much was happening. First of all, Babylon, the the enemy of God's people that had taken them into exile... Babylon had been judged. But there's another part of the prophecy that that was keeping the 70 years of Jeremiah from being fulfilled. And that was that God's people were not yet back in the land. They had not yet called out to God 
and received his pardon and received his mercy and been brought back into the land. And that's what Daniel was waiting on. He longed to see his people cleansed from sin. He longed to see God's people transformed in the new covenant made with them. Covenant made with our hearts. He longed to see God's name vindicated and, and the church, um, not this byword among the nations, but this glorious um, uh, body that points to its maker and its redeemer, God. Don't we pray for these things? Didn't we pray for these things last week that God would do this in his church today? Well, this is the prayer of Daniel, a prayer for revival. And I want you to see that the 77s are God's loud and clear answer to Daniel's prayer. And the answer is yes, yes. Yes, I will cleanse you from sin. Yes, I will transform you. Yes, I will vindicate my name. Yes, I will bring you back into the land. And the 77s, somehow, we're going to see this, are God's answer that that's the case. A day is coming when, when those 70 years will come to their climactic conclusion. And that's exactly what we see, isn't it? In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, we see the, the, the things that God promises are going to happen. He lays them out. He said, um, at the end of these 77s are decreed about your people that, um, and the holy city that transgression, sin will be finished. Um, uh, your iniquity will be atoned for. Everlasting righteousness will be, will be brought in. The vision and the prophet will be sealed up, will be evidently uh, fulfilled. And a holy place place for God himself will be set apart and evident to the whole world that watches. So good news right off the bat, right? The 77 say your prayer is being answered, but not quite in the way that Daniel was expecting. Here's what the 77s also bring out that the good news that the prayer is being answered are all, is also hard news. And the hard news is this, that the new covenant is coming, but it's going to take a whole lot longer than Daniel thought it was going to take. It's going to take not just 70 years, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. The seven years of judgment... Uh, Daniel has come to find out is just a tiny slice of God's big, huge, overarching plan. 70 times seven is really how long it's going to take to bring all of this in. It's like, you know, you're, um, you're, you're, you're en route uh, to, uh, to, to the peak of a mountain and you're hiking and you, and you see uh, what, what looks to you to be the top of the mountain and you get up and then you see, I'm there but not quite. There's a whole other mountain range that was hidden behind it and I have to get there and it's this huge long walk. And that's what it's like. When Daniel says, comes to the end of these 70 years and he says, great, God's gonna bring it to a close and God says, yes, I am. But guess what? Those 70 years that I promised in Jeremiah, they're just, they're just the, the end of the be that, that leads to a new beginning. I am going to fill my promise of all this to the people. But the end of exile it's just the start of a whole long hike to the end. You know, isn't this what we sometimes find frustrating in the Christian life? We say, thank you, Lord, you've saved me. But why is this struggle with sin so long and 
hard and involved. Thank you, Lord. You have, you've, you're beginning a new work in your people, in your church. But why are we struggling so hard to follow your commandments? And why doesn't the world see yet? And why aren't we transforming the world around us in the way that you've called us to do? God says, you know what? I'm, I'm working in you. I'm hearing your prayers. I am answering your call for revival. But buckle up. It's going to be a long time. It's hard. God does have a plan to make his people holy and to save the world. But that plan is so much bigger than we ever imagined. And it unfolds much, much more slowly than we're comfortable with. And that's what Daniel hears. 77s. One big question that we need to understand and answer about the 77s is this. Is this a literal number? Is this actually, you know, you take 70 times 7, you get 490, and then you kind of map that out, and you figure out where it begins, you figure out where it stops, and that's, 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 that's the answer to the prophecy. You, you, you broke the code. You cracked the code. I don't think so. Um, respectfully, I know many, many have taken it that way. They think this is a, a, a very literal, literal number. Um, I would press us to look at what we see right here in the scriptures. In fact, uh, let, let, let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 22. What does he say? You need to forgive one another. How many times? 70 times, seven times. He said, you, you mean I can only forgive someone 490 times? And then the 491st, I, I'm, you know, I'm clear. No. What is Jesus doing? He's taking seven, this number of perfection, this number that symbolizes perfection. And he, he takes it, he takes uh, this, this root of seven, he takes 70 and he multiplies it and, um, and blows it up before our eyes and says, you need to forgive a ton, way more than you think. I think that's exactly what's happening with this number. It's how this works in this genre of scripture. You see these numbers that are given to us and these numbers are meant to be received as symbols that God is surely perfectly working out the plan for his people. He's answering our prayer. But guess what? The symbolic number also says it's going to take a whole lot more than we think it's going to take. So buckle up. That's what the 77s are all about. Now, how do these possibly map onto history? And how can we figure this out if they aren't literal 490 years that we can just kind of calculate and boop, 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 you know, here it is, 490. Um, Well, we also have cues from scripture as to how this maps out onto real living history. And it does it in three stages. Did you notice that? That he takes these 77s, And he breaks them down into the first seven sevens and then 62 sevens and then a final seven. It's like a short and soon period of time, a long and difficult period of time, and then a final and climactic period of time. Okay. now, how does this map onto the history of God's people? Let's not play guessing games. Remember, we're going to look for the context. This is what you do when you come to a difficult passage where the experts are arguing and you say, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, look at what the context says. Look at what the rest of Scripture makes clear. 
The first seven sevens, when do they run? Well, they speak of a decree. Let's actually look back at our passage. There we are. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Okay. When does this begin? When does it end? What is this decree that kickstarts this, this first, these, um, these first seven sevens? Well, we actually have... You know, a lot of people have tried to find some decree that's made in history. They're like searching through the history books. We've got to find the decree. Where's the decree? Is it this decree? Is it this decree? Well, God has given us a decree right here. Look at it. In verse. Oh, I'm looking for it. There it is. 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. A word went out. A decree went out. From whom? From some earthly king? No! From God himself. This is the decree that I believe that Daniel is speaking about. This is the decree that Gabriel gives to him. As soon as Daniel starts to pray, so powerful is the prayer of a righteous man that God immediately sends out his decree to answer the prayer of his saints. And a word goes out that it will surely be fulfilled. Now, when does that decree from heaven receive its earthly mirror, receive its earthly echo and and become fulfilled? Well, an anointed one named, I believe, King Cyrus of Persia, he permits God's people to return to the land in a 538 BC. He lets them go back and rebuild the temple. Now, Isaiah 45 calls Cyrus an anointed one. He calls him one who is like a kind of Messiah who is uh, uh, this pagan king fulfilling God's commands. It's amazing that Isaiah calls him that. So God's people would have would have heard from the beginning of the time in which Daniel's prayer was answered and God's word went out. Yes, I will bring my people back to the land. It's only this short and soon time before Cyrus himself comes as God's chosen instrument to permit God's people to go back to the land. And sure enough, that's what that's exactly what happens. Within Daniel's lifetime, right, right at the end of his lifetime, this would be fulfilled. Only a short time before Daniel's prayer begins to be answered. But friends, that's only the beginning. Because these first seven sevens, this short and sweet period of time, is followed by what? The end of all things, the bringing in of righteousness, the purging of sin for good? No! A whole new series of sevens. 62 long sevens. You say, Daniel, you've got to be kidding me, God. What's happening then? Well, this long and drawn out and difficult period in which Israel is back in the land. Cyrus has given them entrance back into the land. But it's a time of great difficulty in which building is taking place. Streets are being paved. A canal is being dug. But it's the time of Ezra and Nehemiah where they have the word of God in one hand and the sword in another. They're saying, we have enemies around us and we've got sin in our midst. 
So God, God's people in these long 62 sevens realize, ah, oh, this, this isn't the end. This was just the beginning. And it's not until the very end of those 62 sevens that the Messiah comes. Did you hear that? At the end of the 62 sevens comes an anointed one. Not the anointed one, Cyrus, but another anointed one. Who is this? Who is the one who is cut off and who becomes like nothing? It's Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 8 speaks of the coming suffering servant, Jesus himself, who will be cut off from the land of the living. And he will become like one who has nothing. This, 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 uh, these words in Daniel echo the words of Isaiah. We see this, this is surely about Jesus who, who fulfills that prayer of Daniel. How? By suffering for the sins of God's people. By becoming that anointed one, that Messiah, who would take on himself the punishment that his people deserve, being cut off from the land of the living, dying and being crucified on the cross. That's how the 62 sevens end. But friends, that's also how the final period of seven begins. Now, you see, you have the first seven sevens. From the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to Cyrus, who, who answered that aspect of the prayer. And then you have 62 sevens that run from uh, Cyrus's decree this long and drawn out and difficult time all the way until Christ comes and is crucified. You say, wow, this is amazing that Daniel has predicted all of this. I mean, or that, that Gabriel himself has given this to Daniel ahead of time. It is. But then come the final and climactic period of time. And this is where things get super controversial, right? I, I, and I, I want to lay this before you, not just to be um, argumentative, but to really show you um, how other brothers and sisters in Christ wrestle with this passage. Now, at this point, when you get to the final seven, some people will see this as a jump forward in time, all the way to the end. And they see like this huge, there's this huge gap between the 69th seven and the, 70, and the 70th seven, right? They think there's this massive gap. And so at the death of Christ and his resurrection, you, you have to, we're still waiting on the 70th seven to show up. And at that point, there's going to be an antichrist who makes a covenant and who puts an end to um, offerings in a rebuilt Jewish temple. And some crazy stuff happens until the end. But I don't believe the passage is actually pointing us in that direction. See, what is all of this context driving at? Daniel is praying about the sin of his people and the answer to that deepest problem of their sin. And what's the answer? The answer has been drawing us, pulling us forward, not just to being back in the land, but to the need for a Messiah to come. And so I believe that this final period of sevens, this final and climactic time, is not something way off in the future that we're waiting for, but is actually... It actually begins with Jesus's rising again from the dead and the covenant he makes with his people. So let's lean in. Be patient with me 
and also understand that I realize you know, I, I have much respect for brothers and sisters who disagree with me on this. This is hard. But let's let context draw us forward. Look at what did Jesus do to fulfill that prayer that Daniel made? Well, we hear that in this final period of seven, in this climactic period, some things are going to happen. First of all, the people of the ruler to come are going to destroy Jerusalem and desecrate the temple. Wait, was there any time in history when that happened? Any time close to, to, to Christ being cut off that that happened? And the answer is yes, absolutely. 70 AD, we talked about it a little bit in Sunday school. 70 AD is this huge moment that you just can't miss in the Christian history books when God's judgment came upon those who had rejected Christ. And he did it through a pagan people led by Titus, Um, the Roman people in 70 AD. And what did they come? They desecrated the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. Why would they do that? Why would God allow them to do that? Well, I think verse 27 helps us. Verse 27 speaks of a covenant being made um, with God's people and and sacrifices being brought to an end. See, why why was the temple, the place where sacrifices were made, why was it destroyed? Well, Verse 27, there's one coming who will make a covenant with the people. Now, I just want to note, from the the view I just told you about, the one who makes the covenant is the Antichrist. But I don't believe that's the case. I believe who we're actually speaking about is Jesus here. Because he's still the reference. Did you notice? We're still talking about a singular person. The one who was cut off is still the one in this passage, who is making a covenant with his people. Verse 26, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. You say, well, where do we have another singular uh, subject? Well, not the people of the prince, but right here, 27, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. I believe this is speaking about Christ. Now, Christ made a covenant with his people. He did. He made the new covenant in his blood. When he was cut off on the, cro- on the cross, what did he do? He laid down, according to the book of Hebrews, that once and for all sacrifice for sin. And in his once and for all sacrifice on the cross, he put an end to sacrifices. Hebrew 9, uh, 9 lays this out. He put an end to sin through his once and for all offering on the cross. And you need to understand that as soon as Christ was cut off, as soon as he made that ultimate sacrifice, no other, no further sacrifice was acceptable to God. Not, certainly not a re-sacrificing of, of, of Christ in a Roman mass and also not visible sacrifices of bulls and goats in the temple. They're done. They're finished. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross brought all of those to an end so that any attempt to keep making sacrifices before God is an offense to God. And it's done by those who look at Jesus' sacrifice and say, yeah, I'm not going to have that. Yeah, I need something else. 
70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem, is a public announcement that Jesus is the final and the perfect sacrifice and that all who reject him are liable to his judgment. And every sacrifice they make is an abomination before God. I believe that's what we're seeing here at the end of this passage in verse 27, that Jesus makes a strong covenant with his people, with his elect for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. How? Through the destruction of Jerusalem, through Titus. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Rome destroys Jerusalem, but it's only a matter of time before Rome itself, the desolator, is made desolate. This is a lot. This is hard, isn't it? I've done my best to make sense of a passage using the context. What does this mean for us? Well, there's some things you just can't miss, friends. One thing you absolutely can't miss in this passage is first, is, is this. That God is answering the prayers of his saints. He's answering the prayers of Daniel. Those ancient prayers. And those prayers just aren't random prayers about bringing Israel home. Those prayers have everything to do with your salvation. In Jesus Christ, in his work on the cross, forgiveness has come to you. The prayers of Daniel have started to be answered in their fullness. And you say, praise God for that. That's wonderful. We need to understand that everything in Scripture drives us to the Messiah. Everything drives us, drives us to Jesus. He is the answer to the 77s. He is the focus of all God's promise. He is the answer to the prayers of God's people. And so if you are here this morning and you're, and you're saying, I don't know what to make of this Jesus. I'm, I'm not all in with him yet. I'm interested in the Bible, but I, I don't know what to make of Jesus. Then you need to understand that Jesus Jesus is the subject matter of Scripture. And notice that he is a wonderful friend for his people, but he's also a frightening foe. There's a lot of talk here about making a covenant and and, and purging the sins of God's people, but there's also a lot of talk about desolation and destruction. So you need to see that this isn't something that you can just take time to to think about. Um, you, You could certainly do that, but I urge you, I urge you, by the grace of God and the gift of faith that he alone gives to come to to peace with Jesus. He is a wonderful friend, but he is a frightening foe. And all of Daniel's prayers and promises point to Jesus. But you get to this and you say, well, hang on. I love what Jesus is doing in my life. I love what he's doing. But why am I still struggling with sin? Why am I still waiting for righteousness to come sweeping in. Why, why am I waiting for atonement, uh, for, for Christ's atonement to, to put an end to evil? It feels like that final climactic seven that we're, we're living in just got really, really long. It doesn't feel like, like a final seven. And in that respect, friends, we are much like Daniel, aren't we? Final seven comes in, and once again, God says, Christians, I have something to show you. There's going to be some waiting. There's going to be some waiting for the end. 
And it's coming. But much like Daniel came to the end of his 70, his 70 years and found out there's a whole bigger picture ahead of him. That's what happened to us. We came to 70 AD and Christians found out that, that the road ahead was long. But that the 70th and final week has begun in Jesus. Soon and very soon, Jesus is coming. How soon? I don't know. But he's coming. And this time, it's not to start some final period, another period of time. It is to bring the end. It's to close and seal the vision once and for all. Friends, that's what I'm waiting for. Is that what you're waiting for? Let's dig in. Let's persevere. Let's pray. Let's be the church. Let's do all of this, focusing our hearts and minds on Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, difficult things you have spoken in your word, but they are not here to confuse, but rather to comfort. Lord, help us. Help us to lay a hold of what is true and right and obvious from your word. And help us to hold loosely those things which are unclear. But Lord, what is abundantly clear is the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And that you are answering the prayers of your people through him, through his work on the cross, through him being cut off. And then through the work that he is doing through his final sacrifice, making a new covenant with his people. And for us waiting for him to come again to put Put to death the desolator, the Antichrist, and all who set themselves against him. Lord, that is coming. Help us to hope in him. Help us to hope in the end that he is bringing. We pray in Christ's name.